this morning's uh, Sunday School class uh, continuing in the uh, realm of practical Christianity. We'll be, we'll be discussing speaking the truth in love. And this builds somewhat on the Fruit of the Spirit series that we've just gone through. And it's the uh, subset of the skill set that Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker. So before we get started, let me go ahead and uh, begin with a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we rejoice that you have set this day apart, and we thank you that you give us uh, your word, and we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, and that uh, that is one of those communicable attributes, one of those things that uh, you have done and continue to do that you call your children to. And we ask, Heavenly Father, as we examine peacemaking, uh, that you would show us things from your word that demonstrate the lack of that quality in our characters, the way that it was perfectly demonstrated through Christ, the way that we continue to need your gospel for all things, and a sense of joy that the sovereign almighty creator and sustainer of all things uh, promises to bring peace through his people to his people, and ultimately uh, promises eternity with himself. We thank you for your word and lift up these prayers now to you in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So as I said, we're going to be talking about speaking the truth in love. And this uh, particular phrase comes from, well, does anybody know where this phrase comes from? I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But there's a little bit of context around it that shows its importance with the, first, first and foremost, as, as part of God's economy with his people, his children, the church. But there are also ripple effects that show that this as a quality is really something that, as a fundamental differentiator, of God's people can really speak powerfully to the culture. So Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to uh, verse 11. That's where I'll be starting to read. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So the idea of speaking the truth in love is clearly fundamental to Christian community. And it's one of those things that if you look at God's economy, if you look at how he's designed things, uh, there's sort of a, a, a hierarchy or a, a tiering through which this love gets acted out. And there, there's sort of different arenas in which God has designed this principle uh, to be uh, understood and grown. And if you think of it in terms of concentric circles, first it's with our relationship with God. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we, as we love God, and as we uh, experience the love of God, we get to understand a love that is far different than ours in the sense that he, we love him because he first loved us, and he loved us when we were his enemies. So that's kind of like a, that's a fundamental building block to all of this, and it's something that you don't ever want to lose track of. You don't ever want to forget this, because this, when, when it comes to speaking the truth in love, the, the God who sent his son to die a, a horrible death and pay the penalty for our sins is, is the one who shows, demonstrates what, what deep and abiding love looks like. So first there's our relationship with God. Then uh, there's our relationship with family. He puts us in families. We're in family units. We're, all of us are, were children at some point. Uh, many of us are, are parents now uh, dealing with those kinds of relationships. But the first relationship, if, if you happen to be married, is with your spouse. And that's the, that becomes the primary unit within the family. And then it moves out from there. Your primary relationship is with your spouse, then with your children, then with your extended family, then with the family of God. The church is often referred to as the family of God. And then finally, with those who are not part of the family of God, those that God calls us to minister to, 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 to bring the word to that they might be baptized and come into the family of God. So there are these concentric circles where we can live out this idea of speaking the truth in love. Now, this, uh, there's one more foundational thing, and I'll, I'll try to make things a little bit more interactive once we get past these, the, the content of my, uh, of my next slide here. And that is, there, there's a foundation to the idea of peacemaking where there are four G's that Ken Sandy speaks of. He speaks of uh, glorifying God when you want to make peace, getting the log out of your eye, gently restoring, and then finally go and be reconciled. And so the, the first one, the idea of glorifying God is pretty well understood, I think, in reform circles, especially those who, if, if you haven't memorized any Westminster Shorter Catechism question, you, you probably have heard it enough to know that 
you know, what is the chief end of man? Any takers? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're designed for. And that's, a, that's a, one of the foundations to biblical peacemaking, is that ultimately any kind of peacemaking activity is meant to glorify God, not ourselves. It's not meant ultimately to bring peace, although it might, it often does, but we bring glory to God when we do the things that he calls us to do. The second one, get the log out of your eye, your own eye. This is one that I, most Christians are often also pretty familiar with as well because Christ has made it pretty clear that this is foundational for us in order to interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That you, you need to get the log out of your own eye. You need to recognize those things that you do that are contributing to any kind of conflict and take responsibility for it. And then gently restore has to do with uh, the topic that we're going to speak of today, the idea of speaking the truth in love, lovingly serving others so that uh, they experience the love of Christ through us and in us doing that, the Holy Spirit working through us and the power of God's word informing our thoughts and our words brings glory to the God that we know and love. And then finally, going and being reconciled, demonstrating God's forgiveness, just as he forgave us, exemplifying that in our lives, and encouraging others by our actions as we seek to glorify him. So, <clears throat> I mentioned four things here, and, and uh, I apologize for uh, not having this stuff up on the screen but this is probably the only place where we would actually find it helpful this morning. The other slides that I have here are pretty much standalone and, and don't require uh, human reading. But of these four items, glorifying God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore, go and be reconciled. Which do you find to be the most difficult, the most challenging, and why? <laughs> well, since you're laughing, Matthew, uh, I'm, I, I won't do this to anybody else in the audience, but, <laughs> but we're friends, so I'm going to call on him and ask. Uh, That's my personal difficulty as well. Are there any other thoughts on, on this? Glorifying God or gently restoring or kind of go and be reconciled. Are there, any, uh, are there any others who see the challenges in those particular areas as, as being overwhelming and why?
Yes. Okay. So uh, to, 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 to summarize, um, I'm sorry? Yes. I'm going to summarize again. The, the idea of, of uh, gently restoring and going and being reconciled can be a challenge in, in, because in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, it can be hard to be gentle sometimes. And it can also be hard to forget. So demonstrating the forgiveness of God, the way that he, you know, as far as the east is from the west, has removed our sins. That, that can be hard for us as, as, uh, as limited men. Yes, Dave. And, and that's a, another excellent point. Again, in the heat of the moment, we, as, as Dave said, we can totally, almost, we, we can have a real challenge when it comes to glorifying God because we're not thinking about God. We're thinking about ourselves and how we can be right, how we can uh, prevail in, a current, in the situation as opposed to us uh, thinking about how God might be glorified in all of this. Well, there's a, th those are all good answers, and uh, what this comes down to is uh, an issue that uh, C.S. Lewis documented, talked about in Mere Christianity in his chapter on the great sin. And I'm, I'm going to read this directly from him because He's a lot more eloquent, articulate than I am, and I think he really, uh, he, he really nails it here in his introduction to his chapter on the great sin. Today I come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to others in it. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking of is pride. And I think that, that what Lewis is saying here with this touches on why all four of those areas can be difficult. They touch on are areas of pride, and different, different people take pride in different things. Um, I can speak for myself. Uh, I tend to have problems with 
the, with the second point myself. I, I can think theologically. I can, um, I can, if I can, if, if I struggle enough, be gentle. And I, I can actually forget. But I like to be right. I just, I really, I really like to, and, and it comes from something that's kind of good. Like, I think that all truth is God's truth, and truth needs to be something that we treat with, with an appropriate level of concern. But I do it to the abandonment of reconciliation. Truth starts to matter to me more. And then, me being right starts taking over. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm blowing it on all four of those. So the, the seminal root for me is getting the log out of my own eye. But it could be any of them. And the, the big struggle is that, that we have is with pride. Now, what's the antidote to this? Uh, the gospel changes everything. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. If someone would like to, uh, to read that. So when you read this introduction, uh, a lot of us know, I'd say probably most people in the, in the room here know, that 1 Corinthians goes on to have some really scathing remarks by the Apostle Paul. But look at how he starts this out. What does he start out with in his letter here? Faithfulness, thankfulness, I'm sorry. And what is he thankful for? The manifestation of grace. Yeah, he's calling them saints here, and as we go on, to read in 1 Corinthians, uh, you realize that, that they're saints who have a lot of sins that they need to work through. But the Apostle Paul starts everything off with the affirmation of their faith, the recognition that God is at work in these people. Uh, could somebody get Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, please?
this, this, found, this foundational passage can be a really powerful reminder to us as we interact with others that God is at work. We, we live in the already and the not yet, as we've heard said many times before. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of, of God has come. It's arrived. But there's a not yet aspect to it that the God who began a good work in us is working it to completion. And he, he's working it out uh, actively in our current circumstances right now, even now. Um, he's working it out in ways where we're making progress in our sanctification, but he's not going to work it out perfectly this side of eternity. And that's part of what we as Christians need to have in the back of our minds when we're interacting with others. We're all sinners going through this process together. And that can be a, a powerful reminder to us to trust God, to, to, to put some flesh on the bones of our faith, take him at his word, and look for the things that he's going to do in the lives of us and of others. So, as we consider that the gospel is what we lean on, we're leaning on that for our own sanctification, and we're leaning on it for our trust in God's sanctification in others. Um, what are some practical things that we can consider? Uh, one of them is to be quick to listen. This is where we, we're getting to some of the more practical things that are... Uh, that the, that scripture lays out. Quick to listen. Could somebody get James chapter 1, verse 19, please? a look at the different elements of that. What, what does it start out with? Everyone. There's a little bit of context around that, that that might provide an answer to it. But I think that, you know, he eventually gets to that. But it's, this is for everyone. So, you know, if you're uh, like, I, 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 I don't want to get too autobiographical here, but, you know, as growing up in a, in a household of hot-headed Italians, um, you know, we, uh, we didn't always wait until everyone finished what they had to say before we would jump in and, and 
add a corrective to the things that we thought were maybe not entirely accurate. That's, that might be a gentle way of saying it. We constantly interrupted each other. We yelled over each other's voices. It's kind of like a, it's a family culture thing. And when, when I'm together with my brothers, none of us seems to have a problem with it. But, um, but it's too easy for me to bring that into a social context. And I think it's easier for extroverts to be interactive than it is for an introvert. There are all sorts of different cultural and and design issues that God has woven into our fabrics that can sometimes cause us to maybe remove ourselves from the everyone. But it does clearly start with being slow to speak. And, and what does it follow then with after slow to speak? Say it a little bit louder. Slow to become angry. Slow. So. I, yeah, I think that, you know, to, to Dave's point, a lot of people do develop the, the bad habit of being angry quickly. And this is where, you know, taking a look back at what we just covered with the fruit of the spirit. You know, if you look at the bookends of the fruit of the spirit, you know, it started off with love and it ends with self-control, self-control. And self-control can be such a, a, a powerful force to bring to bear, particularly if, if you do it with God's sanctifying work in your life to bring to bear when it comes to being quick to listen. Another attribute that, uh, the, that's outlined in the peacemaker is to wait. Uh, it's, uh, could somebody please get Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. And this proverb kind of speaks for itself. A lot of times, you can find yourself interrupting before you hear the full depth, the, the full uh, richness to what someone has to say to you, because it's so easy, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to just jump in. And this is one of those things where, like the, some, sometimes the toughest proving ground for this can be the place where it's needed most, and ideally the place where we should demonstrate it the most effectively. Yes, Rob. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, once once you get once you get into the mutual interruption mode, uh, the, the the conversation is pretty much done. But the the the, uh, the, the family. Uh, Rob brought up the workplace as being a a, a, a a place where he's encountered an opportunity for this. Um, I, I personally find the workplace an easier place for me to give an answer to somebody um, after I've heard what they have to say than I do with my family. I have a, I have an inclination to do that, me personally. Uh, it's it's uh, again, it's a it's a bad habit that I have. I think we all have our bad habits, our, our arenas, you know, our, our laboratories where we where we foster bad habits and good habits. But when, when I'm in the workplace, I, I have an inclination to to listen to other people. Uh, but when I'm with my family, I oftentimes will think because I've been around them long enough that I actually know what's coming next. But and. And that can be really, really destructive. Again, self-control comes in here. The, the, uh, the, the final fruit of the spirit, as Paul documented it in Galatians. So we've talked about being uh, quick to listen. We've talked about waiting. Now, there's a, a category that Sandy describes as attending, and he says, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about uh, the accuracy of this, I'm, I'm going to take him at his word in the book, but he says, the mind thinks uh, at least four times as fast as someone can speak to you, and that seems pretty reasonable to me. I think uh, that all in all, you, your, your brain is, it can be working overtime, but What's the danger of your brain working four times as fast as what's coming into you? As Dave points out, we can start thinking about what our next step is before we finished hearing what someone has to say. We can be thinking about what our answer is going to be, and and sometimes that answer can be so good that we just feel compelled to give it, even if it's inappropriate. Like we start thinking down the wrong path and two things can happen. In addition to you confusing yourself, what else can you do? You can deceive yourself. You can fool yourself. You, you, can, you can think that you know what's going on when you don't. That's good. And so attending is another uh, skill that, that uh, Ken Sandy mentions. Uh, another skill that's not necessarily mentioned in the Bible, but ha has a clear bearing on some of the things that we've spoken about already is clarifying 
what someone has said or seeking clarification and reflecting on what they've said. And so, for example, you can uh, ask a question just like you would ask a question of someone in any other circumstance where things might not be so, so highly charged. But take the time to ask a question so that you can get things clarified, make things clear in your mind before you seek to, to, uh, to speak on, on, uh, on, the, on the particular situation. And also the idea of reflecting. First reflect on it and then paraphrase it. Say, did you really say, is this what, you, is this what you're saying? Is this what I'm understanding? Just to make sure, you can do two things. One, it can kind of, do, it can kind of slow things down a little bit, especially if it's, a, if it's a situation that can potentially be emotionally charged. But it also can confirm that you actually know what you think you know. Rob? So to, to Rob's point, uh, just, just to, to reiterate, um, when you can explain back to the person what they've said to you, you you've now sort of, you've, you've entered into their world in a way where they know that you understand them, or at least they, they have a pretty good idea that you understand them if you can reflect what they've said back to them. And that gives you permission now to interact with them in their world because they recognize that you understand them. Jay? So to, to reiterate what, what, uh, what Jay just said, that the idea of, of and this is, this is another, another point that uh, Ken Sandy talks about it in his practical considerations, being objective, meaning when, uh, when you get to the point in the dialogue where you and the, where the other person 
instead of saying you're right and sort of acquiescing, they, they actually see the objective truth to what you're saying and they say, that's right. And Rob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, or, or at least, or at least I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I had to go back and I had to I had to correct that because because yes. And, and what that can amount to is another, uh, that can move us towards another one of the elements that, that Ken Sandy speaks of. And that is uh, agreeing with the person that you have the uh, disagreement with. And again, that it gets back to the, the aspect of remembering to remove to get the log out of your own eye. If you really do the heavy lifting to 
get the log out of your own eye. It will bring a level of humility to the discussion where you can freely uh, recognize and, and speak of the ways in which you know that you've contributed to the difficulty. So the, the idea then that you can do things in love if you can truly examine yourself, take it all the way down, as Tim Keller said, take it all the way down to your, the base emotions, not, not just what you do, but sometimes we do the right thing and we're sinning as we're doing it because we do it out of pride. We want to be good at it. We do it because we care what other people think. We want other people to see us do it. Um, we want to be right more than we want to, to love the person that we're dealing with. So taking it all the way down. Yes, Scott. kind of going through this at breakneck speed. I'm, I, I, I tried to take a slice out of that Peacemaker book that I thought we might be able to handle in the Sunday school class, but we're already seeing that like the steps that we're jumping through makes it, makes it, can make it difficult, but Scott's point is a good one. And the, you know, the idea at the beginning that we spoke of with the gospel changing everything, with building on the foundation that um, that the Apostle Paul, who sees in God's people the hand of God actively working out his purposes, completing the good work that he has promised to do in God's people, that gave him the wherewithal to write that introduction to Corinthians that makes it all about God that it becomes all about God. And there's, there's two pieces to that. One of them is that you see that it's all about God when you're interacting with the other person. But the other, the other piece is, as, as Scott said, that it's not about me and what I do here. It's not like you're going to have a list of tactics and techniques. It's, it, it, the Bible doesn't lay out biblical peacemaking the way we're talking about it now. It talks about it in principle and it's our job to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God working in us. It's us looking at the gospel, us seeing the, the, the hand of God, taking his word, working it into our hearts as he promised in, in Ezekiel 36, giving us a, a heart of flesh to replace our heart of stone, and him putting his spirit in us and moving us to do his will. We look for that, but at some point it becomes a, a tactical thing where you, you, have, you, have to, you have to try things and 
and what Sandy has outlined in his book are things that you can do, but you need to remember who you are. You remember whose you are, and you remember ultimately the, the source of success. And the success may not necessarily be perfect reconciliation, but the success is that, that you trust in God as you go through the, the process knowing that he's the one who's working that out in your life. That's a, that's a really good point, Scott. Uh, any other any other thoughts before we move on? The, the, oh, okay, uh, John. That, yeah, I think that might be a little bit of a, that, that might be a, uh, a cigars and whiskey conversation. That's, that's kind of a, that is stretching it out a little bit beyond yeah, the, the kinds of strategies that we're going to want to employ as we're, you know, drawing closer to our wives in situations where we have a disagreement. I'm not sure there's too much that we can apply from that interaction. Um, I guess that I, when I think of, of biblical peacemaking, I, I don't think of Ananias and Sapphira. That's not the first one that comes to mind. But, I, you know. Um,
Like I think that, that clarifies it more clearly than I was uh, in my attempt. Dave. That's true. That, that there, we definitely need to have love mixed with truth. So we've, we've touched on uh, agreeing, and there are some other sort of, uh, I guess, practical considerations that where we will be uh, where we can be better served, where we can apply the, the principles, the biblical principles of, of both focusing on truth but doing it in love. Um, one of them is to, to choose the right place and time. I agree. <laughs> yep, not all contexts are the, are the best place. To, to try to do things, and the, the, the time might not be right when uh, either the, the wounds are too sore or the, the passions are running too high. So the, the, you need to be careful about the time, but also the place, the context, uh, who, who you're around and, and, how you, uh, and how you're able to uh, keep yourself best on the track of doing the things that God calls you to. Another one is being in person if possible. I know the pandemic has made some things difficult and, uh, and we've had to deal with some things uh, where we're not in person. Um, but being in person where you can actually have the most high bandwidth interaction, where you can read somebody's body language, you can tell whether they're fidgeting, you can, uh, you can see what else is going on that might be occupying their attention. That's always the best way to, 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 uh, to have your interaction and to be engaged. Like, this is the thing you're doing. Uh, don't check out. 100% uh, uh, attention. And, and be clear. And one way to be clear, like for me, I, I can have a challenge with this. Sometimes I'll manuscript what I'm going to say in a hard conversation. It may sound clunky, but uh, sometimes I have to do that. Sometimes my, I know that my thoughts will move down the path of, so you're saying, <laughs> as opposed to wording things in, in ways that I, are not my, my first impulse. And so I, I actually write those things down and I, and I commit them to memory so that, so that I won't make that kind of a mistake. And then this, this is another one that um, bears careful consideration, and that is 
using the Bible carefully. Yes, what's in the Bible is true, and you can say something that's true, but if I warn my wife that, you know, right when she comes back from a, you know, a, a challenging circumstance, well, you know, that's a great opportunity to work on the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that might not be the, the best. And the only reason why I say that is because you're going to shudder. But me preparing for this class, I said that yesterday. <laughs> so use the Bible carefully. We, we all have our struggles. And um, the, the final point that I'll talk about here is recognize your limits. And, and when I recognize my limits, I need to realize that I don't always use the Bible carefully, and I don't always say things the right way. And so I may have to manuscript what I'm going to say. Um, in, in closing, um, what I'd like to do is we've, we've talked about a bunch of, of, uh, of practical sort of things here. And there's certainly ways in which we could how to say this we could you can employ these techniques in a good way or you can do it in a bad way as, as uh, Scott pointed out you know we, we need to always get back and remember that um, this is all coming from God this is all about God and and the, the first point that we addressed when we talked about the idea of biblical peacemaking was uh, glorify God. That's the number one thing that we're after here. We're not after peace in our house, although God does command that we be peaceful in our houses. And we're not after um, necessarily us being perfectly conformed to Christ, although that is one of the goals. And that's one of the things that we are commanded toward in a trajectory that we're commanded to move toward. And it's not to, to, to have perfect peace and harmony because um, as we know, the world doesn't always work out the way uh, we would like it to work out when we do the things that God commands. Job is a, is a great example. God held him up as a paragon of virtue. He was, he was a man that was an example when, when the angels came before God in heaven. And even though he was doing everything right, he, he had unbearable circumstances. And Stephen spoke a wonderful sermon before he was stoned to death. And the Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Sometimes things don't work out. But the one thing that can work out is if you glorify God by working out your salvation with fear and trembling while you seek to be a peacemaker and bring glory to him. And there are a couple of verses that I'd like to, to go to here in order to kind of remind us that it is, in fact, all about God. Okay, just a second here. The first one is 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, just to remind us again of what we studied. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I think that that passage speaks for itself, and we've, we had enough teaching on it this past summer to know that um, it's God who works that fruit in our lives. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He's the vine and we're the branches. Uh, the second passage that I'd like to draw your attention to is uh, the one that I think is foundational to us as we seek to interact with others. This is, this is the one that I, I, I tend to err on the side of the truth part. I don't always do the love part well, and this is the place that I like to go to uh, as I struggle with it. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, all things. And I think that this is the kind of love that we need to bring to our interactions as we seek to be peacemakers and as we seek to speak the truth in love. Any questions or comments before uh, I close in prayer? Okay, great. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you have brought peace between us and yourself. We rejoice, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your, your son to die for us. And we rejoice that he sits at your right hand, interceding for us in those times when even our very prayers, the best that we can offer to you, are uh, too filled with sin to be effective. We know, Lord, that you love us more than we love ourselves. And we ask that you would work that love into the fabric of our very being so that when we speak truth, we would speak it as a caring, loving surgeon who is about to uh, go into uh, a situation where he has to perform surgery on someone who will die because they have cancer. Help us to treat the lack of truth with seriousness but help us to treat the delivery of that message with the love of Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.